This episode is brought to you by Arches and Halos. Between being on Zoom calls all day, having to wear a mask everywhere, and now using your eyes and your eyes only to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes. Arches and Halos is our favorite line of brow products that are so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, you can have the most amazing brows ever. They have an amazing range of products from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, and gels. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos, professional brow grooming. Be bold, be you. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And since this is unofficially wedding week, or officially? Should we say officially? Totally officially. Yeah, it's officially wedding week on Stuff Mom Never Told You because this is the beginning of June, mm-hmm. which is also the beginning of wedding season. That's right. And earlier in the week, we talked about gay weddings. And today, we have a fantastic interview to share with you from the writer Jen Dahl who recently published a hilarious memoir called Save the Date. Yeah, her book actually stemmed out of a post on the hairpin a couple years ago where she basically recounted all of the weddings she had attended. And I I read it in awe because, I mean, I've I've been to a good chunk of weddings, but nowhere near the number that she has attended. Yeah, she's been to, I think there were 17 listed in that hairpin post and she's been to even more than that and so in the interview one of the first questions i ask her is how she's managed to go to so many weddings yeah um do you remember the first wedding you went to caroline oh gosh um probably my uncle no oh no i was the flower girl for the wedding of, um, we, we grew up next to a Greek family in Marietta, or I grew up next to a Greek family, and I was their flower girl for one of their daughters. And it's funny because, you know, everybody in the entire church had really dark hair, and I was, here's like this little blonde girl walking down the aisle, you know, throwing flowers out, and people are like, who does she belong to? <laughs> but you didn't care. But I didn't care. No, but yeah, that was, that was my first wedding experience. Yeah, the first one that I remember, was when my oldest brother, who's significantly older than I am, got married and I was a bridesmaid and it felt like prom for me because there was a whole process of getting fitted for a dress Mm -hmm. and doing hair and getting to walk down the aisle with my very cute, soon-to-be sister-in-law's younger brother, Mm -hmm. which I thought was a very big deal. The only downside of which was that it happened in August in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and thus it was a swamp outside, a hot swamp. My mother says I'm not allowed to get married in the summer. Yeah. Because well, she'll be too hot. Yeah, that's the funny thing about how many summer weddings there are. It's just, I, I've sat at an outdoor wedding in Atlanta in July and melted. Yeah, I, I remember coming in. It was in June. It was a June outdoor wedding a couple years ago, and I came in completely sunburned. Thanks a lot. Well, I probably that's my fault. I should have put on sunscreen. Let's be real. Let's be real. Well, and since speaking of real, let's toss out a few relevant 
wedding season statistics because Jen Dahl's memoir, Save the Date, is all about her experience as being a wedding guest. Mm -hmm. So for a few numbers to kick things off, in the 2013 wedding season, according to the wedding site The Knot, the average number of wedding guests, 138. Really Hmm. big wedding. Is it? I have no, I have no concept. That feels like a lot to me. I, yeah, I, well, I know that 138 is probably low compared to some people out there, or it feels low compared to some people out there who I know, for instance, my friend, her in-laws got kind of carried away with the guest list. So I think she wanted more like 138, but I think ended up with closer to 300. I know. Well, well, so you you have to spend a lot of money for all of those guests and all of that fun time that you're having. But if you're doing it in Manhattan, which is the most expensive place to get married, you're going to spend an average of eighty six thousand nine hundred and sixteen dollars. That's nuts. That's nuts. Um, And apparently one of the trends of late is that spending on your wedding guests is increasing. So. Well, maybe part of the explanation for that $86,000 tab in Manhattan, at least, is the fact that spending on wedding guests is going up. So not only are people who are getting married spending a lot of money on a venue and dresses and tuxes, but now it's also guest entertainment. Apparently, in 2013, couples spent an average $222 per guest. Yeah, and this whole guest entertainment category is apparently growing at at rapid speed. In 2013, nearly one in three couples provided additional guest entertainment compared with just 11% in 2009. So is this like, does this include the favors, the the band, the, I don't know. That's what I'm thinking. And I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there, Caroline, for people listening who might be planning a wedding, if you want to integrate a live podcast for a fee <laughs> into your guest entertainment, yep. we will come. I, I work for food. I do. No, I, I will work for food and cash. I want some <laughs> cash, too. Or maybe if we could just do like a blind selection of one of the gifts on the wedding gift yeah, table. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, we, we, could totally, we could totally do that. So just <laughs> let us know. But more importantly, I'm really excited to share this interview that I got to do with Jen Dahl. Um, there is, by the way, some, some background noise because we actually chatted outside at a cafe in Fort Greene. Um, and so don't mind the noise too much, folks. It's, it's not too bad, but, uh, just, it's more like an out, outdoor podcast. Yeah. Like, like we're all together outside at a cafe. Yeah. And I just like close your eyes and picture Kristen and Jen Dahl surrounded by hundreds of podcast listeners just staring at them. Just staring at us, not creepily <laughs> at all. So with no further ado, ladies and gentlemen, allow me to introduce you to Jen Dahl. So, Jen Dahl, for people who aren't aware of Save the Date and your wedding attendance habit, how many weddings have you been to, just to start off? At this point, I've been to approximately 30, um, and I think there could be more that I don't remember, but 30 are the ones that I can actually count. Um, The book deals with 17 weddings because... I joke that, like, otherwise I would have been writing the War and Peace of Weddings, like, thousand-page book. Um, we had to cut some of them out to make it, you know, a narrative arc that people could actually read and not have to carry around, like, some sort of giant tome. 
So, how does one go about getting invited to 30 <laughs> weddings and also not experience the wedding fatigue? Because it seems like in the book, you don't reach a point of wedding exhaustion or bankruptcy related to having to buy so many wedding gifts. Right. I mean, I guess to some extent, you know, for me, my, my feeling about weddings changed as I kept going to weddings in my lifetime. And some of the bankruptcy stuff that maybe I should have thought about more early on in my wedding going life wasn't an issue for me. I was not that I didn't, not that I had unlimited funds, but simply that I thought if I was invited to a wedding, I should go to a wedding. And it was such an important thing. And I would never miss any of these friends' weddings. Um, later I started to realize, and like, I wish maybe someone had told me back then, you don't have to actually go to every wedding you're invited to. Um, there are some that maybe you should pass up for various reasons. <laughs> but at the time, I just went to all of them. And I 30 weddings in a lifetime really isn't even the highest number of weddings I think people go to. I've talked to people now who are like, I've been invited to 13 this year, and I've been to 25, and I'm 23. And I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> so I'm definitely not the Guinness Book of World Record holder for the most wedding attendances, but I do think that I've felt so many different emotions at all of the weddings I've been to, and also I have gone to them in many different states, you know, states of life, like as an unemployed person in my 30s, and as a person without a boyfriend, and as a person with a boyfriend, bringing the boyfriend, and, and I just really thought about how it makes such a difference, you know, every wedding you go to is different because of the state you're in, and the age you're in, and the things you're feeling. Yeah. Well, speaking of sort of the emotional experience that is wedding attendance, one thing that jumped out to me when I was reading the book was when you say that we're vulnerable at weddings. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and how weddings in particular make us kind of vulnerable. I think of it as like prom for adults. Um, and it's one of the few times in adult life that we get to repeat these um, really orchestrated, formalized affairs, and we dress up, and photos are taken, and it's very important. It happens less regularly than a birthday, maybe, um, and but it's, and they're always different, and I just think when we're going to these things where love and romance and togetherness and a spirit of bonding, not just with a couple, but of the entire group of people there... Um, we can't help but feeling really heightened emotional states at the same time. And it's all very dramatic. It's like the Oscars or a movie or, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. So we feel vulnerable because when we see people doing this thing, we think about where we are in life too. And maybe we don't measure up. And I think it's very hard ever to feel like you've quite done it. You're, you've got there. You're great now. You're, there's nothing wrong with your life. There's nothing more you want. Um, the funny thing is I, I'm sure that people who are getting married feel the same way. It's not that just getting married means suddenly you're there and everything you've ever wanted has been achieved. You keep wanting things. You keep growing. You're vulnerable as humans because you have desires and emotions and, you know, you're living life and life is complicated. So, But I do think that weddings presented this really interesting ecosystem upon which to lay out the different emotions that we feel and our vulnerabilities, you know, whether it's that we just broke up with someone and now we have to go to a wedding and we feel really complicated about that and possibly fraught and possibly we're going to get really drunk. <laughs> there is definitely the benefit to the, the open bar aspect of weddings. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of, speaking of those like fraught emotions that can come up with weddings, one of the most heartbreaking anecdotes in a way was about your friendship with Ginny 
who ended up marrying a guy that you really didn't like. And I think from my conversations with girlfriends as we get older, it's kind of a common thing yeah. of girls sort of, you know, hang in for the long term with guys that we don't think are the best for them. Right. So looking back now on your experience with that, what's your advice when, you know, you're supposed to celebrate their love, but you aren't exactly a fan of it. Yeah. This was like probably the hardest thing to write about. I was much more comfortable writing about um, my mistakes, my drunken mistakes, my foibles, than I was writing about this friendship that I lost because um, friends are... The, some of the most important people we have in our lives, you know, sometimes more than romantic partners. Um, and we don't expect to lose friends, yet inevitably in growing up, we grow apart with some of them. And I, I included that part of the book because it is to me a universal thing. Um, maybe not all of us have been, have lost friends through the people they've married, but I think all of us have had an experience with a friendship where we've grown apart because of a romantic relationship on one side or the other and we don't always love our friends husbands or boyfriends um and so in writing about it you know I really wanted to get across how it made me feel and I think that what I should have done differently you know kind of like as a lesson to people maybe if they read about it they'll feel a little better about what has happened to them as well mm -hmm. but also um that that honesty is such an important thing you know you hear that it's kind of like lip service, but like really when people are heading into these grand events in life and, and weddings, we tend to think that we're supposed to just stop talking about anything bad. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for me, it was very difficult to repress the stuff that I knew and to not address it. And I wish that we had just found a way to communicate about it because I think that would have helped immeasurably maybe we would have grown apart anyway but there was a kind of like repression of the feelings and the story you know like we weren't talking about the same stuff anymore that had really sustained our friendship and being honest with each other and talking about our our relationship difficulties it was like that all got covered up because there was this wedding on the horizon and I just think it's important to keep talking about those things in as honest and kind way as possible and also not to just get really drunk and then start to address it because that's never going to go well. Like, don't address it at the wedding, <laughs> which is something that I kind of did. Um, but, but really try to, like, be upfront about what you're feeling and then also what your friend is feeling and acknowledge that we're different people and we can feel different things and we can choose different partners. Um, we can't decide who our friends marry, but we can at least decide how we're going to behave with regard to that and like whether these friendships are worth keeping and how we want to try to do that. Yeah. So for someone who's now, you know, you've been to so many weddings, but we also hear so much about weddings, marriage, the wedding industrial complex. Yeah. Sort of how do you square the two? Is it like fine to have these like indulgent celebrations of ourselves? Or are we reinforcing the patriarchy? Like, yeah. where's the line with that? Yeah, I think the line is really blurry. And I think we have to, the most feminist thing we can do is make the decisions for ourselves as fully aware, autonomous, independent, smart people. Mm -hmm. um, I think there is absolutely nothing wrong with having a grand wedding. But if you're simply going through the motions because you think that this is something that you're supposed to do and you're not really being self-aware about it, I think that's a problem. I think could be a problem for your relationship too <laughs> but um i think it's hard because 
One of the chapters in the book that really addressed this was about my parents' marriage and about why they got married and about how marriage and weddings have changed from the time that they got married to now um, and how it's become less of an expected, you know, you don't have to get married. Um, and especially if you're a woman or a man living in like an urban area, you're probably getting married a lot later than your parents got married and you can do those things and the judgments, you know, maybe there's some stigma and people are still being like, well, what's wrong with her? She's not married. She's 38. But like, it's far less than it ever was. And you do have the freedom to choose. So I think that to be a strong feminist, you need to actively choose um, and do the things that you think are going to be good for you. Um, I also think that if you're having a wedding and you have single women who are attending your wedding, like be careful about the bouquet toss because (laughs) it does seem to perpetuate certain stereotypes about how we all want this thing and maybe we don't all want this thing and certainly we don't all want to like grapple for some flowers that were thrown at us I I mean it's like maybe the most undignified tradition that still carries through (laughs) although which is worse the garter belt toss oh god or the flowers the garter belt might be worse because it's so sexualized but also I mean Maybe I approve of that more because <laughs> it's like, yeah, sure, sure. Like the bride and groom are probably going to have sex. That's great. Um, but like the bouquet toss and the assumption that this is the pinnacle of what a woman's life should be. So we're all going to fight for this bouquet to be the next to go down that aisle is to me rather demeaning. <coughs> Maybe if all of your bridesmaids and all of your single women friends are like really dying to do it, then go for it. But, um, Again, I I think that the other thing about being taking an independent kind of approach to weddings and a a pro-woman, pro-man, pro-everybody, pro-grown-ups approach to weddings is that we all can do whatever we want, and that's okay. But again, be open about it to yourself and to your friends and family. This episode of Stuff I Never Told You is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a lot different than most. We're staying at home for the most part, and many events we usually look forward to are canceled. We find ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players ages 10 and up, although many younger kids can play with initial adult guidance. It's a great way to keep families engaged and off screens, even if it is just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. Unlike the roll your dice, move your mice games, this is a little different. What are your experiences? The first time I played Catan was at our office game night. And it was so fun. It was quick to pick up. It was easy. It was social. We made it really competitive because we're a competitive group, but you don't have to. And what I thought was just going to be a a short game among friends turned into an epic game night that we shall remember forever. (laughs) Hours we played. Hours. And uh, yes, I lost, but I had fun. You had fun. (laughs) Well, obviously it keeps you really social. And like you said, it is really easy to pick up, which is really nice right now. This year is the 25th anniversary of Catan. Get Catan at catanshop.com slash mom. Listeners of the podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code MOM at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. This episode is brought to you by Arches and Halos. 
Between being on video calls all day, having to wear masks everywhere, and now using our eyes and only our eyes to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes. Arches and Halos is our favorite brow products that is so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, have the most amazing brows ever. They have professional quality products at the perfect price point. Celebrity makeup artists use arches and halos because of how well done the formulas are, and they are half the price of department store brands. They have eight color shades to choose from, everything from sunny blonde to auburn to charcoal. Everyone is represented. They cater to women and men of all brow shapes and sizes. Embrace your natural brow. And they're all about individuality. Brow tools for all looks and style needs. You can use for dramatic or natural look. They have an amazing range of products, too, from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, gels, all kinds of things. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos Professional Brow Grooming. Be bold, be you. And now back to the show. One thing I really appreciated about the book was that there wasn't the rom-com-esque narrative arc of you having to end up by the end of the book going down the aisle yourself. And just out of curiosity, was that something when you were going through the publishing process that maybe like editors were expecting or you kind of (laughs) requested to sort of massage the narrative some? My publisher is awesome and they would never have done that. I mean, thank God. I'm sure that that is something that people have experienced. And I think that it might be a more Hollywoodization of it. You know, like with the Occasional, I don't know, there have been like a few talks that I had with potential movie people and um, and they seem to be a little more pushing a rom-com-y, you know, I mean, I think that's just what we expect in rom-coms, that you're going to end up with someone in the end. I, I was with someone in the end of the book, although you wouldn't know it from the last chapter necessarily. Oh God, this is a spoiler. But, um, but I really wanted to have the storyline not be about ending up with someone romantically but about choosing to be the you that you most want to be and knowing that whatever state you decide you know paired up or single it's good it's like you're 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 experiencing life you're having the adventures and you're like living the life that you have whether you're married or not and and both of those things are good so i definitely it was a conscious choice not to end with some sort of wedding. Also, like, I wasn't proposed to in the end, so... <laughs> and it's mem- it's a memoir, so it had to be true. Um, but, yeah, there was... The last wedding I go to in the book involves a guy I was dating and going to this wedding with of his friends where I didn't really know anyone besides him and how that shifted my perception on bringing, my, bringing dates to weddings, like, throughout the course of my life. Like, I was like oh, that's interesting. Like, this is another side of it. And I think that that's something that I hope people get in the book also, that there are always different sides to these experiences. And we don't always, we're not always aware of them until we experience them ourselves, or maybe we read a book about it, and that can get us to start talking about it too. Yeah. Um, And sort of along those lines, uh, in your experience, do you think that we, especially as women, are coming more to a place to where the the societal idea of what happily ever after looks like is evolving beyond just, well, you got to get married at some point, ladies. I certainly hope so. Um, I do think that there are still beliefs and stereotypes and um, 
things that continue to exist. Like there is kind of this default notion that we should end up paired off with people. However, I think that there are all of these new ways of being paired off and partnered and maybe even just having a really strong support group of friends. Um, and there are a lot of great writers who've been talking about how people live single lives for a really long time and how those lives often are happier and more productive and more tied to the community and things like that. Um, I think that, if anything, just the the progression and the openness which would, with which we look at relationships in society is it's impressive and it's like we're moving forward in that degree and I, I think that's really good. Well, and sort of along those same, same lines in terms of us moving forward, one of the chapters in the book is about going to, you know, the gay wedding in New York that Mayor Bloomberg officiated and we actually did a podcast a couple weeks ago on gay weddings and how they're often treated as this trend where it's something new and yet still the same tradition. And the question we were asking ourselves in the podcast was sort of when will just a wedding be a wedding? Mm -hmm. Um, So just from your take as someone who's been immersed in, in wedding culture by being to so many, I mean, how do you think that this inclusion of same sex marriage will have a lasting impact on the tradition of weddings? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I think a wedding will never be just a wedding because they are too orchestrated and emotionally, I don't know, fraught, but also significant. And uh, we place a really high importance on them in society. I think that with gay weddings, it's just amazing that we can all have different kinds of weddings and, and they can even look the same, but have different couplings mm-hmm. and... Um, mixed sort of relationship types and um one thing that was really fun with my book is that looking back at it um there there were gay marriages and there were interracial marriages and there were um marriages of people who were in their early 20s and marriages of people who were in their later 30s and i really like that there are all of these different possibilities and combinations um i just think with gay marriage we're probably just going to see more marriages and that's great as long as they're good marriages So what is something then that going to all these weddings has perhaps taught you about yourself and about your relationships, romance, Mm -hmm. etc.? I think that when we grow up, and I'm speaking as someone who's a woman, so like as, as little girls, you know, we think about weddings in this very particular way, or we tend to, not all of us do, but a lot of us do, because what's put out before us in society are like these pictures and these um, storylines and the narrative of like a bride and groom walking down the aisle and how that's what we want to have too. And I think in going to so many weddings and seeing that they exist in so many different forms, it was like, you don't have to do it that way. There was always kind of like a weird disconnect with me, I think, thinking, this is what I'm supposed to do, but like, do I really want to do that? And does it have to look this way? And um, can you like have love without a wedding? Can you just, because I think love is more important than weddings, honestly. But, uh, (laughs) um, and I, I guess that that idea that we can, that we're living our lives, the whole lives that we live, it's not like it starts or stops when we get married. That's just another component. And that if we can approach everything with kind of as much openness and like, 
open-heartedness and spirit of adventure, then we just live more enjoyable lives. Um, and to kind of not be, I guess another lesson is just to not repress our feelings, but to try to address them, especially before intense moments. <laughs> and perhaps wedding open bar. <laughs> exactly. And <be> yeah. <laughs> so one thing uh, I also loved about the book was how it's sprinkled with all of your, your wedding tips. Uh, if you had one wedding tip to bestow upon listeners, what would it be? Always get the French fries because, <laughs> um, and I mean that metaphorically as well as specifically, <laughs> but you know, there's a scene in my book when I'm hungover after a rehearsal dinner and we've ordered food and I think I can't remember if I get them or not, but the tip is to get them because you just want to experience life as wholly as you can. And, you know, barring any sort of French fry allergy, you should probably get the French fries. It's a good tip. <laughs> so in September, I'm officiating my brother's wedding, Whoa. which is um, funny because in the book, you know, my brother and his fiance are mentioned. They've been engaged for several years. And I think I have some comment about how... Um, my parents have stopped asking when. I don't know if this book was a push to get them to actually do it. They probably would hate it if I said that, but <laughs> um, they are doing it, which is really exciting. And they've asked me to officiate, which is going to be a new role, a new wedding guest role that I've never gotten to do. And I'm really excited about. So obviously, since it's a memoir as well, you get pretty personal. And I'm sure that some people's identities might be masked a little bit, but... How was the reception of the book among, say, ex-boyfriends, friends that you might have had difficulties with, family members? Um, some of the stories, I mean, all names are changed except for my immediate family members. And I wanted to respect that when, when you're invited to a wedding, you're the people inviting you probably don't think you're going to write a book about it. Um, I also wanted to be very clear that these were my memories and my experiences. And that's a huge point of the book that the experience at a wedding is not the same for everyone. And it's not always this, you know, lacy walk down the aisle sort of story that we see perpetuated in movies and TV. It can be many different things. So I just... I wanted to be clear about that, and I wanted to be respectful of the subjects and the characters. Um, I gave most of the brides and grooms a chance to read early drafts of the chapters as a fact-checking move, as well as, you know, FYI, this is happening, I hope you're okay with it. And the majority of them wanted to read and also were really, really excited about it. Um, I think the other thing about the book is that it's really not any kind of snarky expose on weddings. Um, you may, people may have that perception, but really it's about most of the weddings in the book were incredibly enjoyable. I may have made some mistakes with them, but they were pretty lovely weddings and most of the couples are still together and very happy. And that to me is really moving. And I wanted to, um, kind of honor them in writing the book, not tell them that they're jerks or that their cake tasted bad, you know, <laughs> um, I did also reach out to some exes, including one who is probably the longest term ex I had. His name is Jason in the book. And he was like, oh my God, I'm so excited, really? <laughs> which is amazing. Um, and he was always a really great guy. And it, just an example of the kind of people who 
they might be great people, they might be great friends, but maybe you're just not supposed to end up with them, which is, I think, a good storyline to remind ourselves of. We haven't messed up by not getting married to those people. We've actually done them and us a service by admitting it. You know, you need to be with the right people. Um, Now he's married and has a baby and has a dog and is, like, super happy and also was like, this is amazing. I've never been in a book before. So that was really fun. I, um, I do worry about some of the other characters, but because not everyone is always depicted in the most perfect way, but I think that of all the bad characters in the book, I'm probably the one who's depicted the worst, so I acknowledge that, and I also um, made sure that identities were kind of shielded in other cases, because the point is not to, you know, destroy someone's life or anything like that. It's just to tell an honest story and the things that I experienced. Well, speaking of that honesty, was it ever challenging the process of writing the book to either sort of push yourself a little bit more forward to be more honest and open with the reader and also maybe giving you pause about things that you had done that maybe you weren't necessarily proud of which you're also very honest about in the book I think I went into like a weird fugue state while writing it and I didn't actually think about other people reading it, which might be necessary for any kind of memoir writing, where if you're thinking about people re- reading it and how they're going to judge you for it, you couldn't do it. And I just was like, kind of in this protected, really focused state, and I wrote what I remembered doing and feeling, and I tried to be totally, I guess, It's interesting because when you write a memoir, you capture yourself in a particular time and place. And there are people who have commented things like, (laughs) Amazon commenters or things like that, where they're like, I think Jen has a drinking problem, like, get help. And I I think that that's really amusing and kind of not very nice. But but it's also a little bit short-sighted because clearly I wrote this book, I put together weddings um, where there were open bars, If you look at my whole life, I wasn't drinking the way I drink at weddings every day because that would have been probably a really hard way to write a book. Um, And the the sentiments that anyone gets from a memoir are exactly what the author has put forward. Um, So it's really interesting to me that that's just like how memoir works. Um, I didn't think about reviewer comments or negative reactions when I was writing it because, again that would have been probably devastating to think about and it was only until the memoir was about to be out I think that I was like oh my god people are gonna think I'm a jerk (laughs) and you know if they do they do and I have been a jerk in my life so um I don't know I just you just live and deal with it I guess exactly (laughs) um I realize that this is a horribly cliche question but I do have to ask if you were to have a wedding in the future, is everyone asking you this question now about this book? <laughs> if you were to have a wedding at some point, do you have an idea of what it would be? Would you just go to the courthouse, call it a day, have a big lavish affair? Um, I've been asked this question a couple of times, and I actually love it because it's really funny. I mean, I would definitely have my wedding at a circus and ride in on an elephant. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I would... <laughs> I don't really think about what my own wedding would look like other than I would probably, well, I would definitely have an open bar and I would want to have all the people who I love around me for it because I think that's the most powerful thing about weddings, that you're bringing bringing together 
all of these interwoven relationships and friendships and um, people to share in this experience with you, that's the key thing. And I also would want to marry someone who I like really liked. <laughs> but basically, that that's it. <laughs> Well, Jen Dahl, congratulations on Save the Date, and thanks so much for meeting with me in Brooklyn and chatting about weddings. Thank you so much. It's been really fun. Well, thanks again to Jen Dahl for speaking with us. It was awesome to hear her perspective on weddings, especially as someone who is a seasoned wedding veteran. Uh, Kristen, do you have any weddings coming up? I do have a wedding coming up. In fact, uh, one of my best guy friends is getting hitched, and I don't know if it's official or not, but I've been asked to be a groomsman, so I'm really hoping I get to rock a lady tux. That's awesome. That's really my only condition. We haven't really hashed out the details, but if I can't wear a tux, I don't think I'm going to do it. (laughs) I love it. No, dude roommate told me that if and when he ties the knot with some special lady that he wants me to be a groomsman. Yeah, there should not have to, we we shouldn't have to have these gender divides. No, no, I agree. Well, again, I just want to give a huge thanks to Jen Dahl for meeting up and chatting and folks, I do highly recommend checking out Save the Date if you're looking for a fun read this summer. And you can find it on Amazon. You can also head over to Jen Dahl's website, which is jendahl.com, to learn more about it and also find other places that you can pick it up. And in the meantime, you can also read Jen Dahl's work at The Hairpin, Vulture, and The Atlantic, as well as other places. She's everywhere, folks. And to keep up with her, you can also follow her on Twitter, at this is Jen Dahl. This episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You is brought to you by HelloFresh. Get fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking fun, easy, and affordable. And while we're under a quarantine, I will say HelloFresh has so many recipes. It's been wonderful because it gets me out of my rut and I'm able to try new recipes instead of my same old, same old. And they offer contactless delivery to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family so you don't have to have those stressful meal planning and grocery store trips. Even better, HelloFresh's pre-portioned ingredients means there's less prep for you and less food waste. So if you're ready to try some of the delicious food from HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash MomStuff80 and use code MomStuff80 to get a total of $80 off, including free shipping on your first box. That's HelloFresh.com slash MomStuff80 and use code MomStuff80 to get a total of $80 off and free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit HelloFresh.com for more details. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. So we know, listeners, it's been rough for a lot of people out there, and we've been very open about our experiences with therapy and how it's been so helpful for us in the past and in the present. And because of that, we wanted to highlight a service that we think might be of help to you all, BetterHelp, which offers licensed online counselors who are trained to listen and to help. You can talk with your counselors in a private online environment at your own convenience from wherever you're comfortable. And BetterHelp counselors have expertise in a broad range of areas. They can give you access to help that might not be available in your area. And you just have to fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs and then get matched with a counselor in under 48 hours. BetterHelp is an affordable option and our listeners get 10% off your first month with a discount code MOMSTUFF. 
Get started today at betterhelp.com slash momstuff. That's better com slash momstuff. Talk to a therapist online and get help. And speaking of Twitter, if you want to keep up with Caroline and me, you can find us at momstuffpodcast. You can also message us on Facebook as well. Be sure to like us while you're at it. And we've got a couple of Facebook messages to share with you right now. Alrighty. Well, I have a letter here from Brenna talking about our women in animation episode. She says, first off, thank you. I was thrilled that you did an episode on women in Disney animation. However, I noticed that while you talked about present day women in directorial roles, you didn't discuss much on those working in the visual development slash artistic roles in animation. There happens to be a fantastic group of Disney associated artists. Their names are Claire Keane, Lorelei Bow, Victoria Ying, Helen Mingju Chen, Brittany Lee, and Lisa Keane that are releasing a book of their personal work. I highly recommend checking out their work individually as there aren't many celebrated women artists in animation and it's important for other women to have contemporary, positive, and successful role models in a still male-dominated industry. The book is called Lovely, Ladies of Animation. And she says that you can go on Amazon and the book is available for pre-order. So thank you so much, Brenna, for that heads up. And speaking of books, I've got a letter here from... Jacqueline asking for feminist book recommendations. She writes, I'm writing because I want to see if you can help me. My youngest cousin is 18 and about to graduate high school, and she's kind of a girly girl. She's going to college in the fall, and I wanted to give her a feminist book as a present. I don't think feminism is something she really thinks about, and I want her to. I want her to value herself for more than her looks. So I wanted your help and perhaps the help of the listeners in finding a book to give her. I want something that's accessible to someone who is not familiar with feminism and that isn't too heavy on feminist theory. So can you help me? Thanks for any help you can give. Um, so one recommendation I have that might seem a little bit random is Bossy Pants by Tina Fey because it's a hilarious memoir, but it also has a lot of feminist undertones of her kind of dealing with her looks and her body and uh, choices in school and in balancing work-life stuff. And so that might be a good kind of sneaky primer. I think, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Bossy Pants would be a great choice. There's also, and I think we've cited this on the podcast a couple of times, but Caitlin Moran's book, How to Be a Woman, she's a funny lady. And so that could be another Maybe not, maybe a more subtle way for your young cousin to get introduced to the ideas. Yeah, approaching feminism with humor, because believe it or not, we do have a sense of humor. Um, and any suggestions from listeners, we'd love to hear them as well. Uh, shoot us an email, momstuff at howstuffworks.com, or tweet us at momstuffpodcast, or send us a message on Facebook, because I'd love to get a lot of recommendations and compile a list so we can share them with everybody over at our website, stuffwomnevertoldyou.com. And speaking of which, if you want to find all the links to our social media, all of our blog posts, videos, and podcasts, there is one place to go, and it's stuffmomnevertoldyou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.
The Gold Club was the top strip club in Atlanta in the 1990s, with patrons like Dennis Rodman, Michael Jordan, Madonna, the King of Sweden. But in 2001, the club was put on trial with charges of prostitution, extortion, credit card fraud, racketeering, and an affiliation with the mob. I'm journalist Christina Lee, and I'll be taking you behind the scenes of the Gold Club scandal, from the booty and bubbly to the deceit and courtroom drama. Listen to Racket Inside the Gold Club on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you crack open an American history book, it's sure to be filled with founding fathers, bloody wars, and the inventions that brought this country to the industrial age. But there's a whole other world that waits for us in the shadows. Tales of unlikely heroes, world-changing tragedies, and legends that are unique to this country's spirit. So join me, Lauren Vogelbaum, for a tour of American history unlike any other through a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Aaron Menke's Grim and Mild. Get ready for American Shadows. Listen to American Shadows on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.